0: You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. If you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Check out our site at www.patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. Thank you. All right, listeners, we've got a little bit of a heavy topic today, uh, but we have a guest who is not a bummer, so it'll be fun to, to have her talk to us. This topic actually came to me in an interesting way last year. It was early in the pandemic. By the way, I'm here with Brooke. Hello, Brooke. Hey, David. And then uh, we have Elizabeth. Oh, I have to get real fancy. Elizabeth <laughs> Ronaday Janice, or I call her Liz. Hello, Liz. Hello. Liz, I will give you your, your, your due and allow you a proper intro in a moment, but I want to acknowledge that you're in our space. So the topic that we're we're talking about today is human trafficking, and it's not something we've talked about on the show before today, but it came to the fore last year during the pandemic of all things. I was in the parking lot of Home Depot, uh, masking up, this is pertinent to the story, putting my mask on walking in and there were two trades tradesmen next to me walking in and they were like, swearing and they're like, Oh, we got to put our masks on. And one of them said, you know, effing, Mike DeWine, who's our governor, Republican governor in Ohio. And somebody said, and the other guy said, rejoined. Yeah. That child rapist. And I was like, what? I'm like, that's new. I have not heard anything to that, that, you know, before, like he's like a, a wonderful Catholic family man done all kinds of things for children and mental health and, you know, foster care in the state of Ohio. has got an impeccable record in this regard. And I was like being an a advocate for children. And I was like, what is going on? Like, where would this come from? So I went home and started Googling things and uh, it brought me to QAnon. And I was like, this is sort of like he was part of the cabal in this QAnon theory. And this is what sort of put trafficking back in my forefront because we started to see things like Save the Children rallies come out of this And a lot of this was like a very oblique way to bring something to the the forefront that's been going on for some time immemorial. I mean, trafficking is nothing new, Uh, but it was a very weird, oblique way. It kind of came into the discourse last year. And for me, uh, our friend Liz has such such a rich history in working with this cause uh, in Ohio and elsewhere um, that I just, I was like, we have to bring her on because I think Mm. this is sort of, been infused anew in the public conversation, uh, but in a very strange way. So that was that was my prompting to get Liz on. And then I snapped my fingers and 10 months later, here we are talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> Liz, why don't you tell our guests, how did you end up in anti-trafficking work and give just a little bit of your history? Because um, it is long at this point. It's been a, a good part of your career. Yeah, just bring us up to speed on how you got into this and sort of what you've done in the anti-trafficking world.
1: Um, first, I love—I don't think I've ever had anyone think of me because I thought of QAnon first. So that's a really <laughs> lovely <laughs> correlation that now exists in the listeners' mind. But I do want to thank you guys for having me on. It's uh, a privilege to be with Dave and Brooke, dear dear friends and incredible humans and. Yeah, thanks for bring, bringing me on to talk about something that is heavy. Like, it's just heavy. And I, I should just preface the conversation with I'm not going to talk about anything particularly explicit today. Um, I'm not drawing any pictures of anything graphic or anything for anybody. So I just want to put that out there for anyone who might feel a little apprehensive about it. Mm-hmm. That said, when you talk about human trafficking, you talk about sensitive things like sex and sex trafficking and compelled activity and all the kind of terrible things that happen to humans. And so, just want to I just want to put that out there so people know if you listen with little kids um, it, you know, might be good to to have a listen first for yourself and see what you think appropriate. I probably should probably so. should have
0: thrown in there that in there before I told my my story to a child <laughs> rapist. <in it>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know that's, that's the world we live in. I don't think we're the source of of you know the worst things that kids are hearing. But no, I just I just want to I want to put that that's out fair. there. I've learned that over the years. So yeah, so how did I land here? I mean, to be honest, not a direct route. And it's funny because um, now that. Uh, trafficking is something that's a much more visible and I think understood issue in the public mind. People do say, well, how did you get up and get in this field? And it's not something you major in. Maybe now you do major in college. I actually have no idea, but um, the way that, the way that I landed here is probably how many do, which is to say it's not a particularly direct route. Um, when I, right, I was right out of college. I had, uh, when you all knew me so well, mm-hmm. we all were hanging out. I had the good fortune of working as a legislative aide in the Ohio House of Representatives, which seems like such a an unrelated start. But the truth is, it's such a great place to learn about the world. And when you are in those positions, when you are a legislative aide, answering the phones for a district, you start to understand um, – Kind of the, the needs of a community right like even the mental health needs because when people have nowhere else to turn you start calling your public officials mm-hmm. like i just can't get my medicaid benefits i need food stamps i need this i'm a veteran but i can't get anyone at um at the va to respond i mean just kind of all the hard stuff of humanity randomly ends up in those places and you know you can choose to be someone who's helpful or not and i do think um that along with some opportunities I had to volunteer, you know, through church and a mission trip in sub-Saharan Africa and to visit family in India, which is where you see just the most desperate and extreme visualizations of poverty is where, you know, like a lot of early 20 somethings, you kind of snap out of your privilege. I was a fortunate person who did not, um, you know, lots of people learn it the hard way from the way that they've grown up. Fortunately, that wasn't my experience. And so um, I learned it through these encounters and, and um and meeting kiddos who are HIV and AIDS orphans in Zambia and and just seeing that um, kind of the really unfair, unjust life experiences that some people are just handed. And um, as a result of that, I knew I wanted to to do something to be more useful in the world um in terms of like a policy response like how do we create laws and responses and humanitarian aid that's i probably couldn't have articulated that at the time but you know that are that are more just mm-hmm. that make make life more fair more kind um across the world so i ended up moving to dc for graduate school and at that time and this is sorry it gets a little wonky but it's just the truth a little policy wonky i had the opportunity to intern at <laughs> he thought i meant wonky like i can listen i didn't mean wonky like crazy wonky i mean wonky like policy wonky
0: i should have known known.
1: brace yourselves guys this is the kind of conversation you're in for you thought you were in for a scintillating conversation i'm like nope let me give you some government acronyms so i worked at the bureau of international labor affairs which is it's just uh it's one of the arms of the department of labor that actually looks at the impact of our trade agreements on um, people in other countries like what what happens when we have um uh, just certain packages in certain sectors. What happens to the workforce in those countries? What happens to people? Are they more or less likely to be exploited? What happens to wages locally? All that kind of stuff. That's really mm. important. I had the opportunity to do that and to do a lot of research on um, child labor in developing countries, which um, you know, slavery, human trafficking, and forced labor are among the worst forms of child labor. So that was kind of my first academic introduction to it, which was a really phenomenal way and I think fortunate way um, to be exposed to that in the policy realm. And then I worked at World Vision which is a uh, global humanitarian relief and development organization. It's a Christian organization. And when I was there, it was fortunate to have the opportunity to manage programs, um, anti-human trafficking programs funded by state department in Eastern Europe uh, and Southern Africa. And also um, I managed our Haiti earthquake response where Mm. opportunities for exploitation were just rampant after the earthquake because you had a country with already, you know, barely functioning infrastructure. It went from barely functioning to zero. You know, there are no protections for kiddos uh, and women and people in terrible positions. And so, um, those experiences are really eye opening. And probably the moment that stood out the most to me is when I had the opportunity to visit northern Uganda in 2008, which had just a few years out of a 20-year civil war. Um, and so, over that 20-year period, um, I don't know how many people. It was like 20. I, I want to say 20,000. That can't be right. Yeah. 20,000 Ugandans were um, kids were conscripted into um, service or uh, into child, la- um, sorry, to being forced uh, sex slaves or into uh, child soldiers. And so having the opportunity to meet with young, young women there who, you know, when who were gracious to share their time with me and tell me their stories, these are deeply traumatized women who have not had the chance for, you know, um, you know, long term restorative mental health opportunities. Um you know, during the time that I, in these conversations with these women, I remember one, one was named uh, Margaret. We were both 25 at the time, I think. And during the time that I had gone to high school, college, grad school, and had great jobs, she had had multiple children as a quote unquote wife Mm -hmm. by a soldier and had lived in the bush. And it's just one of those things where you're like, that's a particularly extreme encounter Mm -hmm. with the worst form of, you know, slavery and exploitation but it was just like to me it was like god says we both have lives of equal worth mm-hmm. we're the same how is this possible and it it was just kind of with those moments where i don't know if you guys have experienced that when you just feel like your head is kind of turned mm-hmm. and you see something you've never you never seen you can't and you're like i what am i supposed to do with that i can't just that's just so extreme and so um you know, since that time, I've gone on to serve as Ohio's Anti-Human Trafficking Coordinator under Governor Kasich for almost five years, and I've worked for a couple of NGOs since then. And, and through all that, um, I've been very fortunate to meet survivors from all different walks of life, to work with some incredible people in the trenches who are um, trying to make life more just and kind and fair, um, and survivors who have put in unbelievable work to find their own healing and um yeah so that's that's kind of been my experience i feel really fortunate to have had that i will say it has been very heavy at times um but i say that as someone who fully says man do i have a lot of good fortune and privilege in my life and it's a so Mm. long answer to your question but that's the trajectory
0: oh thanks liz so we're
1: talking to someone with a little bit of experience
0: just just a little (laughs) just a tad Liz, could you give us a picture just for our listeners, uh, and us as well as we're learning here, could you give us a picture of the average trafficked person in America? Like what, what is,
1: who are we thinking of? That's a great question. And, um, to answer that, I will first, um, again, not to get too Policy wonky,
0: <laughs> too. I'm, really, to I'm, I'm really hoping for some just left field banter at one, <laughs> like one of these long mentions. Just go a little sideways one time. I'd be so happy.
1: Oh my goodness! Sorry, I, you know, for everyone. I I do try to. This is not a light topic, and I have just found that if you don't, it's really important not to take yourself seriously. And so, if you hear that coming through, know that I take. Yeah. I take this really seriously. I take myself not at all seriously. So that will probably come out in multiple mm. ways through this conversation. But um, I do want—I do just want to define human trafficking quickly. And the reason I want to do that is, and I've said, I always say this whenever I do a training for like law enforcement or policy people or social workers, I don't do that in any way to sound condescending. I think it's because it's very confusing. And I'm somebody who has been doing this for a long time. And I think it's hard to understand what we're talking about. So just really quickly, um, trafficking is a form of modern-day slavery where people profit from the control and exploitation of others. And the easiest way to think about it is it's the compelled service of others for profit. And the reason I I put it in those broad terms, compelled service of others for profit, is because that's the element. You could see how many things could fit into that umbrella. So compelled, you know, whether by... Um, force, fraud, or coercion, which is the legal elements in the U.S. for it to rise to the crime of trafficking. Um, And that's really important because there are lots of things in the world that are unjust that rise to the level of a prosecutable trafficking offense. So like wage, that could be wage theft or all kinds of other uh, things that are wrong and maybe can be um, pursued civilly or again might be criminal, but it's not necessarily human trafficking that doesn't have those elements. Mm. So um, here's an example that I think helps define it. Um, And uh, I'm sorry to go this dark this quick, but um, an example that is not uncommon is, um, let's say a parent compels their kid into forced sex acts with other adults or strangers or known parties for drugs. Mm. So in that sense, the profit that they're benefiting from is drugs and um, because they're using and they have a habit and they need it. And so they sell their kid's body. And unfortunately, that is something that happens in the state of Ohio. On a regular basis, this is actually something... um, I don't know if you all have seen the, there was a report that came out maybe a few weeks ago, probably not shocking to most people that opiate use has like skyrocketed during COVID, um, which is so again, not unexpected, probably, but just devastating given the amount of work and effort that has gone into things over the last five years and the loss of life. And the reason I bring that up is I just think the number of kiddos who are just at so much risk, who've not been on a school radar, right. Over the last year where these places are normally reported, um, that is something that's a real concern and that is that is present and that is real and that's happening right now. Um, but the truth is, so with that definition of mine, compelled service of others for profit, there's actually not an quote-unquote average trafficking victim in the United mm. States. Um, and that's just because there's so many different ways a person can be – humanity is depraved and there are about innumerable yeah. ways a person can exploit another human being, unfortunately. Wow. The reality is that in terms of absolute numbers – uh, decent research would probably indicate that the, in, in absolute terms, probably most trafficking is happening in forced labor situations. So we're probably talking immigrants and situations in agriculture settings or hospitality or restaurant industry, um, and seasonal, it's just reported less for many reasons. There's just a lot of barriers to service, right? Somebody doesn't speak English. They don't know the laws. They think that they've broken, um, uh, immigration laws, so they're less likely to self-report because mm-hmm. they think they're going to go to jail, uh, even though lots of times traffickers hold on to visas or allow someone's legal um, uh, legal visa to expire, so then they become illegal once they've been here for a period of time. That is probably, in absolute terms, the most common form of trafficking. I just think that based on research and the reality of the way many of our industries work in the United States. The, the situation that gets talked about the most is ch- child sex mm-hmm. trafficking, and there's probably lots of good reasons for that, right? We're all horrified at the idea of kiddos being trafficked. Mm-hmm. The idea of a kid's body being sold for sex is, I mean, I don't know. There aren't even words for how like horrible and evil that is. But in absolute terms, it's probably slightly less. It just gets reported more often because people are more aware of it. Um, and also thankfully one thing that works right is that those kids should be more likely to come across our systems like child welfare and a trained person can recognize Mm -hmm. that um uh yeah so that's the issue with trafficking i've always said it's very strange it's like a chicken and the egg issue where um you know people need data to believe that it's a problem and then to go after the problem and to report the problem um but to do that right you have to have cases it's Mm -hmm. like you have to have awareness to look for the problem. You have to have a problem for people to believe they should be investing more resources and looking at it. And so thankfully um, the picture has changed so much in the last 20 years since the federal trafficking law passed in 2000. Really, really, I mean, uh, it is a really different picture today than it was 20 years ago and that's a good thing and we should all be encouraged by it. Mm. it A different picture in terms (laughs) of knowing and seeing what's happening. Knowing and seeing. Okay. Yes, we, yes, exactly. Yeah. Knowing and seeing. People are, are more trained. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, awareness and training efforts have been around people who, you know, the, the common thing that trafficking victims has is vulnerabilities that can be exploited by traffickers. Mm-hmm. And so people who have vulnerabilities, um, certain vulnerabilities like teen runaways, for example, um, kids who have uh, engagement with the child welfare system, people who have sexual abuse in their background, um, immigrants foreign nationals uh, people with developmental disabilities or um, all of those vulnerables and uh, vulnerabilities that traffickers um, leverage and exploit and even create more vulnerabilities so you can think about that mm-hmm. with teen kids who've been groomed over time um, as the isolation happens and they're you know further further away from a support network um, but the good news is that because we've trained people like law enforcement like hospital workers like children's services, like pastors, like Mm. doctors, people, when people come across those systems, they're much more likely to be identified. We are not in a, a, it's obviously not all fixed, but we're better than, I always say the kind of perverse thing is that the fact that we have case numbers now is actually a huge sign of progress. (laughs) It's not a crazy place to land, but the fact that I know that 242 kids in 2019 were identified by the Ohio Network of Children's Advocacy Centers, Mm. that's actually Great. That means 242 kids had an opportunity to meet with interviews and to get mental health and wow. to be um, assistance and to have their cases referred uh, for prosecution. And that's also, I think, just the tip of the iceberg. And those are kids who were lucky enough to come across, quote unquote, lucky enough to come across those systems, you know? So.
0: Well, and you mentioned, I can't remember your, but it was like coercion, fraud, by force, whatever, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Force, fraud, Forced coercion. Force, fraud, and coercion. Mm-hmm. Those to me automatically indicate that whoever is. You know, being forced, coerced, or defrauded, probably is in a weakened position to report or tell or be listened to, and also the whoever is doing that is profiting from them. So there's very there's very yes. little motivation intrinsically for that person to stop or report what's going on if they're you know. So that's, that's patently obvious. But I'm I'm interested in this because you you mentioned you know child trafficking is the one thing you know anymore excuse me one second Mm -hmm. anymore I'm just I'm wondering I feel like our society is begging for something that we can all be like angry about together uh we we don't seem to be able to do that well but kids and Mm -hmm. child welfare seems to be like the one thing that we kind of can so I keep thinking well why aren't we more roundly taking on human trafficking why isn't it You know, and you said, "Well, it's because, in in some ways, kids are maybe not the majority of Mm -hmm. who, under this definition, individuals who are being trafficked." And I was wondering about the political, uh, the politics of this. You were not just—I mean, obviously, nonprofits work in a lot of politics stuff too, but you held a political office in Ohio regarding trafficking Mm -hmm. and. I don't mean to like re-trigger any trauma that you had from that experience. No, I'm right. <laughs> but I'm wondering about what, what the politics around uh trafficking are. You know, because mm-hmm. especially when you bring if you bring kids to the fore, it seems like, Oh yeah, that should be bipartisan. But then you mentioned migrant workers and uh all kinds of, yeah. of other groups that maybe aren't as broadly sort of seen as vulnerable. And also, you know, as we've learned in the pandemic, there's been a lot of complaints about farming shortages, uh, and most of the analyses I've seen is because it's a shortage of migrant workers. We're our our economy, our food economy runs. Probably, I'm I'm making a leap here, Liz. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but probably some of our food economy and a lot of our economy is held up by trafficking and by the continuing flow of of this. Maybe our even a good, our price of goods and things like that are probably. Sort of in cahoots with this, so I'm 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 like made me think. Well, it isn't just so easy. There's a reason why the, the politics of this must be weird. Um, but how does this kind of shake out in the two party system? Like, I am I am I being naive? Yeah. Like, is because I know like you know typically Republicans are like pro family and pro kids and you know like we I did have that story I heard you know that was a, a weird oblique homage to QAnon and I know that's not the same as Republican. That's a lunatic fringe or somebody on is kind of far out in terms of a movement, but nobody's like, we are anti-family. Like you on the left, it's not like we're (laughs) anti-family, but there may also be more sympathetic to the cause of of immigrants as well on the left. How does that all sort of cohere in the issue of trafficking broadly?
1: It's a good, it's short answer is it's complicated, Mm. but it is. So, uh, answer in two pieces. So the first thing, you know, your questions about kind of um, I remember once Julia preaching a really great sermon, Julia Pickerel from Vineyard Columbus, preaching a great sermon about um, you know, our luxury comes at the backs of others, which is just um, true uh, period. End of sentence. Yeah. It's just true. And I think I remember her at the time. Um, pulling, she was talking about the subsidiary that Apple was using for uh, manufacturing iPhones. If you remember, um, I don't want to say their name, like it's Foxconn or something, but they, the individuals were, you know, people were so under stress. They were like jumping out of windows, yeah. um, to the point where they had to put netting around the sides because the hours were so egregious in, in the factories in China. Um, and I think, so a couple of things are important, you know, again, that's where this distinction between trafficking and exploitation are important. They might not being outright trafficked, but if you're working out of desperation, cause you know, a way to feed your family, like, maybe you're not being held. Maybe you do have freedom to go home. You could quit if you wanted. You know, it's, uh, it's not the same as being trafficked. That said, are we okay with that as people, as human conditions for the clothes in which, you know, the conditions in which my clothes are manufactured and things like that? So there's that. And uh, there was a lot of political movement in the 90s around that. I remember the No Sweat Act. It all came out of around um, the Nike... The Nike issues, there was like a big scandal with how Nike was producing its shoes in certain factories in Bangladesh, you know, which, of course, things have gotten better, but not that much better. I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago when the factories collapsed. And I think, so I I, uh, I, I won't say all the names of the companies now, but a number of very large apparel brands still make their their clothes in those places who all said those that they passed quality assurance checks, mm. you know, and the, the building pancakes. And, the, um, and so... So there's that, and there's people living in terrible circumstances that allow us to live. I would say, again, in, Ohio, in the United States with our food suppliers, again, it's a mixed. And there have been some really um, – some great movement towards uh, towards workers' rights and better conditions. The Imacale Coalition um, is a really good example out of Florida, and I think they're in California now. And they're, they're a, a, a grower, uh, producer-led entity that has fought for fair – wages and good working conditions. And so that does exist. And those, those things are good. And they've gotten a bunch of um, you know major uh, food chains and fast food chains to sign on um, to those things for sourcing. In terms of the other politics of things like child sex trafficking, it's funny because to be honest, I'm not saying that there weren't, when there used to be an, a kind of quote unquote normal Republican party and a kind of quote unquote normal Democratic party, mm-hmm. Like, I remember when I was in my position, Senator Portman, who was a Republican from Ohio, he, was, he announced he's not going to seek re-election. He led, with Senator McCaskill, D from uh, Missouri, led all the hearings on unaccompanied minors. And so there was this huge, the last time there was this huge uptick in kiddos coming over the border who were at huge risk for trafficking. And there was a big case in Ohio with the egg farms in Marion. Um he's the one who led the charge on figuring out what would happen and holding people accountable like with minors who are, you know, quote unquote, you know, not legal uh, migrants. Like he, he sought justice for it and he didn't seem to care a whole lot about the optics of it. And that was incredible. And kudos to him for making that his issue. And I will say the whole time I worked for governor Kasich, um, you know, obviously there's no reason for me to, chill for any political party now i'm I consider myself an independent no one's in office anymore at this point but like that really wasn't an issue i would say this is an issue we need to care and people would say okay and um it was very unifying and i think what's happened you know with q i mean it's just kind of weird and curious but the truth is child sex trafficking is an abomination and it is evil and we should care about it and we should do something about it It's just not usually. It's not usually a situation where a trafficker is running a restaurant. What was the situation with Hillary Clinton? They were alleging that. PizzaGate.
0: PizzaGate. Yeah,
1: like that's not a thing. So you know, that's the issue is you know our child welfare system isn't designed to deal with kiddos who are being trafficked by third parties. If you have a teenager, a fourteen-year-old who's being trafficked, or there's an older person that life, maybe she's in a not great home, but it's not bad enough to get her out of the house. Mm -hmm. You know, she should still, she could still live with her parents. It was a third party non-family member. Then those kids, um, they can't be processed by, by children's services Mm -hmm. because it's not a familial issue. So they stay where they are. And so, you know, the, that's, it's a huge issue. And I think that the solutions that things that like, that I would love to see churches in the faith community. There's lots of people who want to help. It's, You know, we need more lovely people who care working with the foster care system or people trained with trauma skills to help foster those those kiddos Mm -hmm. coming out of those scenarios Um, Are people who are advocating becoming informed and go to work in those positions um, that can make those differences. I know that's not for everybody, but um, but yeah, or people who are willing to be guardian ad litems for those kids when they're in court, you know, representing them. That's you don't have to be a lawyer for that. That's something that they look for people with, you know, time and energy. And if anyone wants more information about that, I'm sure we could put it out at the end of the podcast. But there's there's so many ways to be involved in a huge and significant issue. But the things that the things that seem to make the front pages aren't necessarily the thing <laughs> to be concerned about. Yeah. I remember
0: just weirdly uh, last two years ago I think in Westerville there was a massage parlor coming to town and like there was like Facebook groups mm-hmm. and protests like going around and like sort of that, you know, not in my backyard sort of thing. And because they were just sure it was like a dodgy, you know, I mean, just it was like
1: an illicit massage And, business. and yeah. these
0: these types of things get <clears throat> some press. And we just saw, you know, with the shooting in Georgia, like we, you know, that this yeah. has kind of come to the fore again. And there's always a sort of suspicion of trafficking, like when that's brought up. But I, I don't think we hear, like you said, what, what, a, when I think about the things that make the front page, it's really kind of hit and miss and it's so I mean it's tired it's tired to say, but it's it's click oriented, right? It's things that sort of are sensational and and get anger out of people usually. Um and those hmm. and that's for some reason that was like a big deal that the fabric of Westerville is going to be you know shot down in flames and we were sure we knew that trafficking was going on in this yeah. place. It was over by the Walmart brook for for a local I was supposed to go in, so um, well, Walmart was also seen as scandalous when it came to Westerville too. So <laughs> I don't know Westerville. Like
1: Walmart's got a bit of a Christian Fry there sometimes with some of their issues. But yeah, I'm I know. sure.
0: I still refuse that's to go fun, to the Walmart. Yeah. I'm so annoyed. We go, we, go, we go to the pharmacy there. I don't know why. We love the pharmacy. They're really nice. But uh,
1: that's so, well, great and good for. I'm sure it's a wonderful. You know, it's funny because that. Um, the illicit uh the illicit massage issue you know something again that has made the headlines in a very different way because of the tragedy in georgia and you know it should be said i mean that was again just evil beyond words what happened to those women and and the timing of it you know happening with um w- you know with outright acts of violence happening against um you know our asian americans our asian neighbors it's it's evil. It's horrendous. And it also is true that many of these businesses are trafficking women. And so um, hmm. it's just hard, you know, anyways, I do think it's really important. You know, it's a good, what it is a really good reminder of how important it is to have people representing those communities in the conversation, yeah, which I think industry. is something that's just you know, not every, not every massage, business, illicit massage but business, but when we talk about dealing with human traffics, trafficking. women who are working there, it is also true. I've been inside a number of them where the women are sleeping on site. They're not given adequate access to, to resources They're shuffled between different illicit massage businesses. Um, they don't, they, they don't speak the language to get assistance. There are significant layers of shame and fear. Um, you know, we just need to take into consideration all these things, but what's really, really important is that we get people who understand those cultural considerations leading that conversation and, um, Rather than even someone like me, who yes, I understand the issue, but um, anyways, this gets to a different issue of within the trafficking movement. It's really important that we have more survivor-led and
0: culturally but competent can, folks, can, you know,
1: taking the charge in some of these I issues. Know it, the, so, the way
0: it is traditionally yeah. gone is uh, maybe in the Christian church, somebody comes, uh, like you, comes to a church, like a religious organization, makes a presentation. Uh, it's it's deeply troubling because it's just deeply troubling and it's awful. Mm-hmm. And like so many things that are a really wicked problem. Mm-hmm. See, I mean like they just are huge hairy problems that have so many layers of entanglement. Um you're like, what what do we do? I mean, like you've you've mentioned a few things like someone who I kind of I'm kind yeah. of trying to get a twofold question. What can what can what can Christians do? And besides just being a decent person mm-hmm. who sort of knows that this is like horrific, like do you have any like theological nudges for like why we should care, and then what what we could actually do about that? Like you mentioned foster care system, mm-hmm. and you mentioned those positions, and you mentioned the Guardian Ad Litem program, which is excellent, and mm-hmm. we will definitely drop links into that uh, for the, in the show notes, but. I'm wondering about sort of the theology of this because you you're a person of faith and you've already mentioned that um, Liz Liz and uh, Brooke and mm-hmm. I all went to the same church and oh um, man I I'm, I miss you uh, a lot by <laughs> the way I'm like oh we're just in we were yeah. supposed to go out for for Thanksgiving but COVID got in the way oh so, likewise um, we're, we're overdue we're overdue a visit to see you but. It's As people of really faith, sad. and talking to some people of faith who are on here, what's what's kind of a theology uh, that would sort of nudge us to to movement and sort of saying, okay, I know this isn't okay, but like from a Christian lens, here's kind of why not? And what can the average Christian do who just feels like me? I'm I'm underinformed mm-hmm. and underactivated on this. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do that's sort of, you know, well not to say make it easy for me, but like give me something I can do short of maybe. Being a foster parent, if I'm, I'm not in a position to do that,
1: yeah, lots of people. I mean that that's a really good point. Yeah, the yeah. average person is probably not called to be a foster parent. And by say average, I mean me. Like I'm just saying, like maybe it's, uh, you know, that's about where are you in your life, you know? And I think that's, I think that's something. I don't know if you guys experience this. You know, we kind of grew up in a time when um, I'm not blaming any particular church movement for this. I don't, I don't mean individual church. I mean just like movements, mm. but where it was like, if you love Jesus, yeah. like you, sh- you get out there and you do your acts of justice, mm-hmm. and you change the world. So part of that's just being young and excited and you know, energetic, and that's really good. You know, now I'm old and less energetic, but like when, you know, being young and energetic and like, let's, let's change the world and all that. But I think part of it is just, um, having wisdom in the long view of like, where, you know, seeking the Lord and what makes sense mm-hmm. with my, you know, you know, the idiom, what a time, talent and treasure. It actually works really well. Like, where would the Lord call me to put that before him? That would make sense. I, um, you know, there's lots of great organizations, you know, if you're a listener in Ohio, there are lots of places that ask for commitments that make a huge difference, but are not necessarily taking a kiddo who's, um, you know, in recovery even into your home, right? There's there's all kinds of things. So a couple of, and then I'll kind of talk about the theology in a second, you know, a couple of organizations that um, I would want to plug. I'm actually a board member of an organization called Sanctuary Night in Columbus, and they have a drop-in center for women who are caught in cycles of prostitution and drug abuse on the West side of Columbus. Wow. And we're getting ready to open a big 24 seven drop-in center later this the summer. And, you know, those are folks who are, you know, many of whom um, exploitation and trafficking are a part of their story. There's always needs for volunteering there. There's, there's that. Salvation Army in Ohio has been a great source of case management and services. They know what they're doing around the issue of trafficking, whether volunteering, donating, um, for kiddos, the Ohio Network of Children's Advocacy Centers, which is not a faith-based organization, but is, um, you know, all these centers that have the hard skills like forensic interviewing and working with law enforcement and stuff for for kids coming out of immediate traumatic circumstances. Um, internationally, you know, International Justice Mission, I think, works on some of the most complicated and under-talked about issues like Thai kids who are mm. kids from Thailand who've basically been abandoned and they're the ones catching all our seafood folks. And they, what's happening is just so tragic, you know, I'm talking about, ki- you know, uh, traffickers essentially using them and then mm. throwing them overboard afterwards in the sea. Like, I mean, it's expendable labor to them. And so organizations like that, if you're in a place to donate, even small amounts, I think Jesus is um, very clear about what he thinks about people who give a little, mm. what little they have. And about how important that is and how beautiful that is. You know, I think that that matters. So there's giving of time and energy. I think um, something that uh, I would speak to the broader movement, and I say this in love as someone who's been a policy leader in that movement. You know, I think a lot of us are driven by that beautiful verse in Micah, right? What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Um, And I would just say, you know, as a woman working in this movement— There's a lot of room in the Christian church. I think a lot of things are driven by a certain, so this is me talking to the church a little (laughs) bit. If you're not a part of the church, don't worry. I'm not yelling at you here. I just be talking to the church a little bit as a sister, you know, make room for the women. And as uh, Eugene Peterson's translation puts it so beautifully, what he says, instead of walk your humbly with your God, he says, and don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And I think that is just really important. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Take the things he loves seriously. And I would say, because um, the, the anti-trafficking movement is a really complicated movement, yeah. just like lots of things, lots of good intentions start and it gets complicated real quick. And I think taking the Lord's calling mm-hmm. seriously, but not ourselves seriously, is one of the healthiest things you can do when you walk into very dark things. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, educating yourself. Um, remembering who it is that you're serving, which is you know, Jesus in Matthew 25 is so clear. Like whatever you did these things for the least, you did it for me. Um, so you can serve your time, talent, and treasure in so many ways. Um, and there's lots of lovely people in central Ohio who, who people could talk to more about that, who would literally be dying for whatever you have to give yes. them. <laughs> so
0: this time has flown by so quickly already. I'm like, man, I have so many more questions Mainly, I just am realizing there's so much. I already knew that. there's a lot I don't know. There's tons I don't know on this topic. So I'm going to be checking out some of the organizations that you recommended. Um, and I, I think, go, go I was just thinking the last thing you said just really sits strongly with me. Like, don't take ourselves too seriously. Take God seriously. You know, for me as someone who follows God, I think like, okay, <laughs> that's something I want to sit with. Absolutely. For a while. Yeah,
1: and I, and let me just say too, I put that yeah. back on me. That's just not my call for other people. To be very clear, yeah. I learned that the hard way. So right. learn right. from me. Don't find your body a train wreck after doing this work.
0: <laughs> like it's really
1: deal good. with things in a healthy way. So let me. That was probably an important mm. qualifier to what I just yeah. said.
0: You know, Liz. Thank you so much for being here. It was awesome. Um, and. Yeah, like I said, we're gonna find an excuse to have you back on because I just like talking with you. So and it's and it's our show, so we can we get to say. We can do whatever the heck we want. We can do whatever the heck we
1: want. <laughs> oh, you guys are lovely. Thank you for having me. It's such a treat um, to speak with two incredible dear humans. Life is not a sequence
0: program from the sky.